0: one of the key phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes is the phrase under the sun. We've seen it 21 times so far that it takes place or occurs rather 26 times in the the book of Ecclesiastes and it occurs nowhere else in scripture. And it's interesting because the phrase under the sun has to do with this world that we all live in, the brokenness of this world like I was just praying about, the the fact that teenagers get shot, the fact that riots happen and, 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 and businesses are ransacked in the name of protest and in the name of peace. It's, it's a world in which we don't agree with policy. It's a world in which we lose jobs. It's a world in which we lose loved ones. It's a, a world that, as Solomon said earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, God has set up and ordained to disappoint us. This phrase, under the sun, appears so many times in this book. And yet what this book really is about at its heart and what really we're after in this book is not about what's under the sun, but the one who is over the sun. Solomon's written this book to get us beyond and past what's here on this earth and what we see here and and to shift our gaze from the here and now to the then and there, to the The place of being in the presence of God, our creator. The place where all of us, Lord willing, would love to be and long to be, along with the Apostle Paul, that we say daily and increasingly so as our world gets darker and darker, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In our goals, the the one that's bolded and underlined on the screen there to learn to, to loosen our grip on this world. That's really what our, our section, our passage in Ecclesiastes is really going to be about this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's pick up and we're going to read the first six verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 together. It says this, But all of this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God, Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, and to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. As he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Maybe you're hearing some of the themes in those first six verses and thinking to yourself, okay, here we go again. Pastor PJ, I thought you said we were past all of this. This sounds a lot like Solomon at the beginning of the book. This sounds a lot like Solomon bemoaning the things that he bemoaned in the beginning of the book. And we've already come to to terms with this, that the great leveler for all mankind is what? Death. And that's what Solomon is frustrated with again. Back wrestling, right? Right? with the inevitability and the indiscriminatory nature of death. And he's frustrated. He's, he's going through these couplets in this opening passage that we just read. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked, both will die. It doesn't matter if you're loving or hateful, both will die. Good or evil, both will die. Clean or unclean, both will die. Devoted or Heathen, if I can put it that way. Those who go to sacrifice, as it says in the passage. If you go to the temple with your sacrifices, good for you, but you're gonna die just like the one who's never stepped foot in the temple. The ones that are are faithful, the ones that swear an oath and keep the oath. Well, that person's gonna die just like the one who swears the oath but shuns the oath. Again, Solomon's reminding us of the unpredictability and the cruelty of death and the fact that no one can escape it. No matter how you live this life under the sun, you can't escape physical death. Death is going to come and none of us know when and it's gonna come to you just like it's gonna come to your worst enemy. Solomon's frustrated, or is he? Again, what does he say there at the beginning? He says in verse three there, this is an evil in all that is done. What's our phrase? Under the sun. See, this is why this chapter, this passage, is is really not all doom and gloom. And in fact, you're going to leave this morning, I pray, Lord willing, if I do my job right, you're going to leave encouraged by this section. Because that phrase changes everything for us. Because with that phrase, Solomon is creating a, a division. He's bifurcating that which is under the sun from the one who is over it. And Solomon's reminding us of the futility of placing our hope and our confidence in getting everything we can out of the life that is under the sun, because he's reminding us, no matter who you are, that this life under the sun is going to die. Okay, Solomon, so then you want us to be a bunch of despairing nihilists. No! No, in fact, it's this phrase under the sun that keeps us from being despairing nihilists. Because look back at verse 1. What does he say in verse 1? All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of fate, are in the hand of chance, are in the hand of of naturalism. Is that what it says? No, it says that they are in the hand of God. God. See, that reality right there, that that though this world is a world of unpredictability, though this world under the sun is chaotic, though death will befall every single one of us, no matter whether we are living a devoted life or a life devoid of devotion, look, the, the reality is this world is governed by a sovereign and holy and righteous and good God, and that changes everything for us. See, Solomon doesn't want us to be nihilists. He wants us to remember that there is a God who is over the sun and a perspective shift is what we need here. Solomon's trying to get our gaze and get our mind off of what's here to then shift our focus and and have a God's eye view of everything, including this indiscriminatory nature of death, to be able to say, okay, well, it's not random and it's not unjust and it's not necessarily as tragic as we might feel that it is why because everything is in the hand of God if we maintain this perspective men we won't be locked into living and dying by what happens to us under the sun if we will get over what's under the sun then we'll have the right perspective and be able to live this life in a manner that God wants us to live it as he's laying it out for us in ecclesiastes our first point this morning is just that. Get over what's under the sun. Get over it. There's a little bit of a, a double meaning here. Yes, that's our goal, right? We want to, as Paul said, to die is gain. We, we desire, hopefully we do, to depart and to be with Christ because that is what does Paul say? That is, that's pretty good. Is that what he says? It's better. Is that what he says? No, he says it's far better, far better to depart and be with Christ to to be in the presence of your Lord and Savior, men, we need to embrace this mindset is better than your best day on earth times a million, times an infinite number, right? It's going to put everything else you've experienced to earth to shame. Your best day will will not even be a distant memory for you as soon as you are in the presence of Jesus. And that should be our mindset, that we want to get over what's under the sun. We want to be with the Lord. We want to be in his presence, but then there's the the second meaning too, right? And, And that is that we need to We need to get over it. These idols that we set up for ourselves in our lives, that we look to, right, as as things that we think will satisfy us, that we think will make us happy, that we think will bring us lasting joy, that we think will fulfill us, right? That's what so much of the book has been all about is, is to get past those things. All those things that Solomon chased in chapter two. When He said, look, I've done this, 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 and guess what? It's all vanity. We need to get over those things. Not that they're all bad, but when we take these things that are so often gifts that God has given us and make a good gift an ultimate gift, then we've created an idol in our lives and we need to get past that and get over it if we hope to live this life in a way that is going to please the Lord and also not end in our own tragic despair. Our family, our friends, our possessions, our jobs, our dreams, our plans, our education, right? All those things can be good things. But all those things can also become idols in our lives if we begin to look at those things for the joy, satisfaction, fulfillment that can only come from God. I Man, if you are living for any of those things that I just listed off, you're living for the wrong thing. And we need to get over it. See, the tragedy is when we begin to live for those things and death cuts us down and. Those that are left behind are left to answer the question: What was his life really all about? I Man, it should be our hope that when people ask that question about us when we die, that the answer is obvious. His life was about Jesus. His life was about the Lord. You know, yesterday there was an Apple event, and if you're a, an Apple geek like I am, you were paying attention to what was going on, and they released all these new ga- gizmos and gadgets that I can't afford, and A lot of them I don't honestly even need. All of them I don't need. But one of the the new things is there's this new iMac that's out that's redesigned, and it's got an M1 chip in it, so it's supposed to be faster and and everything else. There are some people out there that are over the moon excited about that and can't wait to be the first one in line to, to get it off the shelf. And for them, having the newest thing, the, the latest gadget, the latest gizmo, that's going to bring them joy and satisfaction. But here's the tragedy, man. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'd be willing to, to, to place a bet that would say somewhere in the world there's going to be somebody who drives to the Apple store, buys that new iMac, puts it in the backseat of their car, and buckles it in with the seatbelt, and on the way home they get in an accident, and they die in that accident before they even get to pull that thing out of the box. Solomon would say, what good is that? Or maybe you've heard the stories and read the stories and it always seems to be a cruise ship, which is why I have no desire to go on a cruise except for the focal point cruise, which you guys should all sign up for. But the stories of a of a, a newlywed couple on their honeymoon where one of them dies, right? And you think about that. And from an, an under the sun perspective, you think about all of the shattered dreams and hopes and expectations and in the life that they could have lived, and the kids that they could have had. Gone. Solomon would say vanity, right? Or you think about a, a, a wife who lovingly plans and, and creates and, and sends the invitations out for weeks for her husband's surprise birthday party. And he walks in the door and everybody yells surprise and he goes into cardiac arrest and dies on the operating table from a heart attack. See, these are things, in, in maybe some to an absurd level, but these are things that we look at and we would think, man, from a world's perspective, from an under, under the sun perspective, this is just meaningless, senseless tragedy. What's the point of this? The good and the bad, they both die alike. And it's not fair and it's not right and it's not just that a bride should die on her honeymoon. See, that's the only logical conclusion if there is nothing over the sun, or rather, no one over the sun. It's the only logical conclusion if 9 1 says that their deeds are in the hand of fate. Their deeds are in the hand of naturalistic evolution. Their deeds are in the hand of happenstance and chance. The only logical conclusion then is to despair and to bemoan the situation. But look at verse four, because Solomon has something else for us. He says, but he who is joined to the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. There you go, man. If you were wondering, are dogs better than cats? Yes, Solomon just proved it for you, okay? A living dog is better than a deadline. You can take that home to your cat-loving wife and tell her she needs to let go of the cats and get a, a, an animal that is worth living. <laughs> no, and in, in, in fact, in, in fairness to the cat lovers out there, uh, dogs were despised creatures in Solomon's day. They weren't man's best friend. They lived in the streets. They ate from the gutters. They were scavengers. They were filthy. They were, they, they were not something that you would look at and go, oh, look at how cute and, 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 and cozy and cuddly Fido is there. You'd stay away from it. I remember back in college, one of my friends went on a mission trip to India, and he was terrified because a friend of his had gone before him and told him about the rabid dogs that roam the streets in India, as though they're just everywhere all the time. And this was like a legitimate fear that he had, and he wanted to make sure that he stayed away from the dogs. Well, that's that's the connotation of dogs during Solomon's reign, right? But Solomon's saying, hey, you know what? A living dog is better than a dead king of the jungle. A living dog, which no one during Solomon's era would have been fearful of losing their life from a dog. They would have thought, man, get these unwanted nuisances out of here, right? But if they were to encounter a, a living lion on the street, you think they would have been afraid? Absolutely. But Solomon is saying, look, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Why? Because the lion is dead, and it's gone, and its time is up, and there's nothing it can do. And so Solomon is bringing us face to face with the inevitability and indiscriminatory nature of our death, but he's saying, hey, look, if you're still alive, notice the blessing here because you're aware that you are going to die, right? men? if we will understand that we're gonna die and begin to prepare for our death by living well under the sun for the one that's over the sun, right? If, If we will begin understanding that our death is inevitable and living our life in preparation for that, man, Solomon's saying that's the point here, that we need to live well, ready for our death because death is going to come and the question will be, are you ready for it? There are some fortunate or unfortunate, depending on the perspective, who know how much time they have left on this planet. They receive the diagnosis from the doctor. And yes, that's an estimate and not a sure thing, but they know that that death is coming. But for the majority of people who die, I would venture a guess to say that they probably aren't aware that death is coming for them when it does. And men, we may not know when death is coming for us, but we do know it is coming. And we need to live ready for it. And living ready for it means getting over what is under the sun. Death teaches us quite a bit, but Solomon's going to continue and say, so does life. Look at verse 11. We're going to jump down. We're going to jump over that middle section. I'll come back to it. But look down at verse 11. Solomon says, again, I saw under the sun. There's our phrase again. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Solomon here is now turning our attention to the unpredictability of life saying, look, death is inevitable and unpredictable, but so is life. We all understand that there are certain things in life we expect to happen, foregone conclusions almost, right? We expect the fastest runner to win the race. When Usain Bolt lines up on the starting line in the Olympics, we expect that he's going to win, that the race is to the fastest, right? Or we expect the the strongest warrior to win the battle, it's uh, something in our minds. We think to ourselves, okay, well, this person is bigger, stronger, faster, more agile, more athletic. That's the person that's going to win. That's our expectation, right? We expect that the wisest planner is going to have the most secure future, or we expect the, the smartest person to land the job with the greatest paycheck. We expect these things. We look at the this Fortune 500 CEOs, and we look at them, and we go, okay, well, they Okay, sure, why not? That's, that's life. That, that, that makes sense based on how they've lived. But Solomon's whole point is you can't trust any of that. His whole point is this. Sometimes the fastest in the race, they stumble out of the blocks, they trip and they fall and they lose the race. Or sometimes the, the strongest warrior catches a rock between his eyes from a shepherd boy with a sling. Or sometimes the the planner who is wisely invested and prepared himself for anything that could come his way wakes up to news of a pandemic. Or sometimes the the smartest person in the waiting room going in for that interview has an off day before the boss and misses out on the job and doesn't get the position. See, Solomon is is teaching us and telling us this reality that, that life is unpredictable. In fact, He says in verse 11, time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. And the the original says time and happenings happen to them all. We say in our vernacular, life happens, right? You Go up against something that you didn't expect, well, life happens. And what we mean by that is that you can't predict it. You can't know for sure what's coming. And Solomon is teaching us and training us and guiding us to think rightly about this life under the sun and realize, man, you can't predict what's coming tomorrow. You don't know what's coming the rest of the day. You may have your plans, but as this same author Solomon wrote in the book of of Proverbs, he said, man creates his plans, but the Lord, what? Directs his steps, Yes? That it's unpredictable for us, but not unpredictable for him. Remember chapter 9, verse 1, all their deeds are in the hand of God. And so men, as we face this unpredictability of life, what should our response be? How should we live it? Well, we should live it not panicked, not dismaying, not discouraged at the fact that you can't predict what's coming. But because we know the God over the Son, in whose hand is all of our lives, We can have a a humble submission to him and take each day as it comes trusting that we may not be able to predict it but he knows exactly what's coming. Our second point this morning is this. Be humbled by the unpredictability of life. Be humbled by the unpredictability of life. Author David Gibson says this. He says, we aspire to have it all, to know it all, to do it all and to achieve it all, and to be happy forever, and have all the answers, and never be left scratching our head, and be remembered by all for all time. That's what we hope for. But what guarantee is there that we won't go under a bus tomorrow? If you knew that would happen to you, how would you live today? He says that's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. That's the whole point of the book. He says, "Is, is you don't know when your life is gonna be over. And so the question you should ask is how should then I live my life while I have it? And the point he's making in, in verses 11 and 12 is, is life is totally unpredictable. And we don't know that we won't go under a bus tomorrow. And so we need to live our life ready for that and to live our life knowing that, man, we can't predict it, but we serve a sovereign God. And so we need to humbly live each day under the guidance and the sovereign leading of that God. But our pride wants to ignore Solomon here, doesn't it? Our pride wants to say, okay, that's fine, but you know th- those people that, that, that lost the race or that the, the warrior that lost the battle, they, just, they weren't adequately prepared. I'm adequately prepared for anything that could come my way. And have the last two years not taught us that, no, we're not. Right? I mean, a, a total global shutdown from a virus that we knew nothing about a year and a half ago. I mean, talk about the unpredictability of life. All those people right now that, right, that are just cashing in their Zoom investments that are sitting there going, well, I saw this coming. No, you didn't. You just got lucky. Well, I'm not lucky, but you know what I mean. Right, but our, we want to we push back on Solomon and say, but, but Solomon, my life isn't that unpredictable. Well, Look at how he, he ends there in verse 12. He says, For man does not know his time, like fish taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. You know what the most unpredictable thing about life is? Death. And that's what he comes back to there. All of us are subject to that. Man, we can prepare until we're blue in the face, but we ultimately are not the ones that are sovereign over our lives. God is. Man makes his plans, the Lord directs his steps. So what does this look like? What should we do? Let me make some suggestions. Number one, begin each day with a prayer of gratitude for waking up. Think about the process of waking up. Your body just does it. Why? How much effort do you put in in opening your eyes in the morning? Some of us a little bit more than others. After two, three, four, five snoozes, right? But your body wakes up because the Lord wakes you up. You need to be thankful each and every day because the, the sleep patterns that we have we weren't guaranteed the fact that we would wake up. Second, entrust your plans each day to the Lord. We've talked about this. You make your plans, that's fine. Make your plans. That's wise. That's good. You should make plans. But hold them with an open hand and say, okay, Lord, I'm, this is what my plan is for the day, but you're the one that's going to direct my steps. third, Confess that achieving your dreams won't make you truly happy. Understand that. Agree with that. Right? That's what that word confess means. It means to agree. Agree with what God has been teaching us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, God, even if I get my perfect life that I've planned, it's not going to make me truly happy. If we will embrace that mindset, we'll be able to navigate the losses that we're going to take in this life. When we don't reach the goals that we had or the dreams that we had or the plans that we had. If we understand that those things are not where our true hope and satisfaction lie and even if we were to get them we still wouldn't be truly satisfied and joyful. It'll allow us to hold them with a loose grip. Fourth, thank Him at the end of the day for bringing you through. Bookend your day with gratitude for waking you up and for bringing you through. And then finally, Go to sleep, ready for the possibility you might not wake up. Talk about un- unpredictability. Talk about something that's out of our hands. Men, how, how much effort do you put into keeping your body alive while you're sleeping? Well, my brain's firing its synapses to tell my lungs to pump and my heart to beat. And so uh, look at what, what, what controls all that. Jesus. Colossians 1 in him all things hold together the only thing keeping your your synapses firing to to cause your lungs to breathe overnight is jesus and if he decides it's your time to come home at 2:37 a.m. your biology is going to do nothing to stop it and so we need to go to bed every night ready to, for the fact that, that we might not wake up. That's part of the unpredictability of life. That's the great leveler there that he talks about at the end. Look, so are the children of man. We're taken in the evil net at an evil time. Evil just meaning it's, it's so often at a time when we weren't expecting it. And it's, it doesn't seem right from an under the sun perspective, but it's right from the perspective of the one over the sun because all of our deeds, 9-1, are in his hand. Uh, James builds on this in in James 4, 13 through 15. He says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, James says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. You are a vanity that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. So this is the guiding principle, right, for us. The the goal for us, point number one, is we need to get over the sun. The the guiding principle is then that we need to to live humbly in light of the unpredictability of life under the sun. But then what's our action step for this? What does Solomon want us to do? Look at verse 7. He says this, Go! Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. It's a little bit of a shot, I feel like, from Solomon there. That he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toilet which you toil under the sun whatever your hand finds to do do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going what should we be doing then Solomon we we understand the goal to get over the sun we understand the 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 guiding principle, and that is that we need to humbly approach each day of our life. But then how should we live, Solomon? What should we do? It, it boils down to one word in verse seven. It's the first word on your, the, the page of your Bibles in verse seven. What is it? Go, right? Get busy living is what Solomon is saying here. He doesn't want to create a bunch of existentialist philosophers staring at their navels, wondering about what we should do in light of the fact that life is unpredictable and death is going to happen to everybody. No, he's saying, okay, Embrace those realities and then get busy with your life. Go eat your bread with what? With joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Look, if you're following the Lord, Solomon's saying there's freedom to enjoy your life. You don't have to despair. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be morose to the fact that death is coming and you can't predict life. No, you, you can live each day as a gift from God and enjoy it to its fullest. He's already talked about this back in chapter two. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26, he says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. God wants us to be enjoying our life, enjoying our labors. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So, back in our text, let your garments always be white. In other words, wake up and get yourself dressed. Look pretty nice when you're leaving the house, he's saying. If you think of, of Jesus' instructions about fasting, right? He says, when you're fasting, don't do what the Pharisees do. Don't put on the frown. Don't wear old clothes when you go out of the house and, and bemoan about, oh, sorry, I would have done my hair, but I'm fasting. So, you know, I'm, oh, man, it's, it's pretty brutal right now. That's the idea here when he says put on white garments, Look your best. Look like things are are going well for you when you get up and and leave the house. And he says, let oil not be lacking on your head. In other words, take a shower, right? Clean yourself up. That's what the oil would have been. It would have been a a cosmetic thing, a a fragrant thing for them. Think, you know, degree of of ancient Israel. Make sure you, you slap on the deodorant in the morning. Go about your life. Enjoy your life. The call from God to us in light of the unpredictability of life and the inevitability of death is not that we would retreat and become ascetic hermits that, that just wait for death to happen to us. It's quite the opposite. God wants us to be some of the most vibrant and life-enjoying people on the face of the planet, and as Christians, we should be. We know life is unpredictable, but we know the one who ordains it all, right? We know death is coming, but we know what waits for us afterwards, Right? So should that not free us up to say, let me live this life with boldness and vigor? In fact, even I love this next phrase, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun. Solomon saying, enjoy marriage if you're married. There was a question at our college Q&A over the, the retreat that one of the students asked and I don't know where it came from, but they said, is sex only for procreation? That was the fastest question that I've ever answered on the face of the planet. The answer is what? No, no. God gave us that to to be enjoyed in marriage, right? If sex was only for procreation, all of us would be the Duggars. Some of you guys don't know who the Duggars are. They had 19 kids and counting, I think. I don't know, or something but he's even saying, look, enjoy your wife, enjoy your marriage. And, and, and that's not just about the physical relationship. That's about so much more than that too, right? Enjoy the companion that God has provided for you. Love them, spend time with them. Enjoy your relationship with them, right? See, it, it's not about just getting through life. It's about enjoying it. Why? He, he goes on, he says, because that is your, what, what does he say? That is your, that's your portion. That's the lot that God has given to you to enjoy. Men, we are stewards of everything the Lord has given to us. And as stewards, we need to enjoy those gifts. If I give my children gifts and they take them and they use them, but they get no joy out of the use of those gifts, is that going to bring me happiness as the gift giver? No. I gave them the gift so that it would bring them joy. God has given you, men, so many good things in life so that it would bring you joy. And then I love what he says next. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Do it with your might. Our world might say this, live life to the fullest. Take each day as the gift it is from the Lord and live it to get as much out of it as you possibly can because you don't know if you're gonna have tomorrow. Our third point, this morning is this, live with all your might while you do live. Live with all your might while you do live. This is taken from one of the first few resolutions written by a young teenage, Jonathan Edwards. In fact, it's verbatim from him. The resolution was resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And and that's what Solomon's talking about here. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Enjoy this life with everything that you have, right? That's what God wants from us, men. He doesn't want us to be discouraged and depressed and morose and throwing ashes on our heads. It's, the, the, the epitome of Christianity is not Job sitting on the ash heap. It's David dancing and singing and rejoicing before the ark as it comes into Jerusalem. Or, think about the world that we live in for a minute. Think about the the ocean. When was the last time you went to the ocean? For some of us, we live 15 minutes away from the ocean, but we probably go less than the people that live 15 hours away from the ocean, right? Because it's in our backyard. But but, but think about standing on the the beach and seeing the waves roar in and seeing the beauty of the ocean and the sunset. Why Why did God create that that way? Or to, to stand in Zion National Park and look up at the sheer cliffs and the rock faces and the beauty of the colors or to stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and to look out at that and to see the, the, the beauty of this gigantic chasm in the, the earth or to, to leave Orange County and all the light pollution and to go camping like men and to look up in the skies and to literally see the Milky Way galaxy displayed in the, the sky. And in we have to ask, why? Why did, why did God do that? Well, Pastor PJ, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. He did it to display his glory. Yes, but what, what emotional response does it draw from you? Joy, awe, right? He could have displayed his glory and it could have left you with, eh. But he didn't, why? Because he wants you to enjoy it, Right? He wants you to be in awe of it and wonder it and, and, and say, wow, this is, God, how amazing is your creation? Or your your family, right? Why did God create your family and give you a wife and give you children and relationship? Well, he gave it to me for his glory. I'm a steward and I need to steward my family well. Yes, you do. But part of your st- Stewardship of your family is planning a family vacation and creating memories as you guys pile in the car and drive across the country. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to create things that way. Our relationship with our family could be like our relationship with our uh, postman who delivers the mail for us. Well, We'll treat him nice. We're going to say hi. We appreciate him. But he didn't do that, right? Why did God create the job that you have that hopefully at the end of the day provides a, a sense of satisfaction that you can go home and say, man, I put in on a hard day's work and, and there's a, a sense of, of joy about that. He didn't have to do that. Right, why, why did God create Apple products to show us what computers can be like if you don't have to run an antivirus software that slows them to a crawling speed? He didn't, he didn't have to do that. And some of you don't think he did. What's my point in all this? Does God want you to experience life with a stoic, passionless ambivalence to it all and just say, well, praise God that he gave us these things. Let's pray. No. No, God created you with emotional responses and the ability to find joy in this life on purpose. And yes, that joy should redound to his praise and his exaltation and his glory. Uh, But men, so many of us need to hear what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, 7, go. We need to be given permission to go and enjoy our lives. And, And that's what he's doing here. Yes, with the understanding, hopefully that doesn't need to be stated explicitly, though I will, that this does not give us a green light to go and enjoy sinful indulgences in life, but to go and enjoy life the way that God intended us to enjoy life. He wants us to be happy in this life, merry in this life. The text says it right here in Ecclesiastes 9. Part of the way that we honor the hymn with the gifts that he's given to us is to enjoy them. And to live with all of our might while we do live. Man, getting over the sun and responding to the in, uh, inevitability, the, the unpredictability of life even. It, it's, it's not like Hinduism and, and, and Buddhism, right? In, in Hinduism, what, do we, what are they after? What do they want to achieve? They want to achieve nirvana, nothingness. There's nothing. That's your goal? That's what you are living your life for? That's what you want to be reincarnated as an ant to come back to try to get to that state? Or, or, or Buddhism, which the, the phrase Atman is Brahman, right? Which means to be one with the, the universe. To, when we talk about vibes, we're talking about a, a Buddhist principle, by the way, guys. When we say, hey, these are good vibes, we're, we're venturing into Eastern mysticism with that. Because the the Buddhist quest is to get on par with the vibrations of the universe. To become one with the universe. And and then you no longer feel anything. That that there's no more dualism in life. That you've achieved this this oneness. and, And then there's no experience of anything. No feeling, no emotion. That's your goal in life? That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Solomon's talking about here. No, we don't need to live for ultimate satisfaction under the sun, but we can live a life of joy under the sun. We can live a life of, of, of pleasure under the sun. In fact, God wants us to. I mean, this is the, the key to us living a, a life here under the sun, a life that Solomon has summed up elsewhere as vanity of vanities all is vanity." But that's why, man, this is such a hopeful section for me of Ecclesiastes. I told you, hopefully, if I did my job, that you would leave encouraged. And I hope you are encouraged. Because, yes, death is coming for all of us. And, yes, life is unpredictable. But if we know the one over the sun, we can go and experience the joy, the merriment, happiness that God has created for us under the sun. 26 times in the book. Interesting, 26 times in the book, the phrase under the sun appears in a book that was written largely for the purpose of getting us over the sun. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for Solomon. We're thankful for his words to us written under the inspiration of your spirit God, we're thankful for the good gifts that you've entrusted to us, that we can enjoy. And Lord, we know death is coming and we know life is unpredictable. And and so I pray that each day we would take as a gift and that we would enjoy the things that you've given us to enjoy as they come to us. Lord, we're grateful that you are the Father above who gives all good and perfect gifts. Lord, thank you for this day as one of those. We don't know what the rest of the day holds. We don't know that all of us will make it through the rest of the day. But as long as we have right now, God, we pray that we would live with all of our might while we do live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.